today, and for those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet, we do welcome you with our congregation. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So this is the 15th message in 1 Peter, and we're almost through the 15th verse. Um, Peter is chock-a-block full of tremendous revelation and teaching to us, and we are in one of the primary elements, and of course Peter, right out of the gate, starts to address the holiness of God. And while we as believers are required to be holy, in fact we are looking at holiness in the gospel. And so I want to pick up with verse 13 this morning again and read through uh, verse 17. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And there's a pause right here. He goes into the element of redemption beginning in verse 18. And that's where we'll stop this morning. And we will pick up with uh, basically where we left off last Sunday, looking at these verses as we approach the holiness of God. Let's go to his throne of grace in prayer. Father, we ask and beseech you in a prayer that we know that will be answered, that you would teach us what we do not know, that you would forgive us in areas that where we sin that we are unaware of, and that, Father, that you would make us like the Holy One, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So we closed last Sunday morning. In fact, put the first slide up if you would. Uh, <clears throat> uh, brother, we, we, a couple of weeks ago we looked at distractions to holiness. And last Sunday morning we started to look at, he talks about not being conformed or nonconformity. Holiness concerns our not conforming to the world. And granted, each and every one of us this morning have issues with that. People in Peter's day had issues with that, took issue with that. I went back this past week and uh, on Sermon Audio, which has uh, about... Mm, at least several hundred, if not a thousand or so, of messages over the past few years. Uh, I took a look at the messages on holiness, and they are some of the least watched messages. Why do you think that is? We understand. Believers understand that we will never approach the holiness of God. And there are things in our life when we understand that we'll never be able to do that again. I used to run, I used to run sprints when I was in high school. And uh, the hundred, at, the, at that time, 100-yard dash, 220-yard two, dash, and so forth, high hurdles, low hurdles. And uh, I thought... A number of times over the years, there is no way I will never be able to do that again. Never. And so when we hear the scripture teach about holiness, it frightens us. And it should. And so Peter goes to great lengths to teach us about Holiness, And in verse 14, we started last Sunday morning uh, focusing on uh, 
actually in five different instructions and then three words in verse 15. But the instructions that he gives us begin back in verse 13. And he says, let your mind's activity rest upon the confidence of the future grace of Christ's return. So that's the first one. And then there are four others that follow. In verse 13, he talks about sober-mindedness. In verse 14, he starts to talk about obedience as children of God that do not conform to our former ignorance. And there are a lot of scriptures in the Bible about not being ignorant in the areas that God wants us to be smart about. And in verse 15, he talks about a, a conforming to holiness and then in verse 17, he says, because God the Father is our judge, we are to conduct ourselves with fear, with a reverential fear, as long as we mortally live. Now, he begins to talk about holiness by defining how or what holiness is in our lives. The first thing he mentions in verse 14 is obedience, and we talked about this last week. This is an attentiveness and a compliance. The children of God display the nature of our Father. Mike was teaching this morning in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 36, and there it talks about uh, the fact that God's, God was speaking through Ezekiel the prophet, and he said, listen, my name has been slandered because of the way Israel lived. So the question I have for you this morning, and for myself, is God's name slandered by the way we live? And part of being born again, and part of the new nature, obviously, is obedience. And he continues, of course, he defines obedience as holiness, or one of the attributes of holiness, in verse 15. The second word he uses here in verse 14, is not conforming yourselves to the former lots. Now, the word conformity there means to fashion or conform to the same likeness. We spent some time talking about the pantheon of Roman gods in the Greco-Roman world. There are about 30 of them. And so, next slide, if you would. Not going to spend a great deal of time on that this morning, but just so that you understand this. There are many, many similarities to the way we approach our Christian faith and the way pagan Romans approach their faith. Now, we don't think about it, but because we're human, we never get rid of, regardless of our education, regardless of our wealth, regardless of our status in life, human nature does not change. And so things that the Romans practiced 2,000 years ago, we still practice in the name of God. And one of those things, they believed that each household had protective spirits that watched over them. And I said, does that sound familiar? And then the father, the paterfamilias, each evening they would have an evening meal and they would generally sit around and, and the Romans were, for the most part, uh, uh, a highly educated and uh, a highly mobile society. And so they would gather their families together and just before the meal they would say grace. Now they didn't call it grace. But they would ask a blessing from the household gods over, over what they were about to consume Peter and Paul would know this. Paul talks about it extensively uh, when he writes to the church at Corinth. And it, he speaks to Christians, both of these gentlemen and Peter in particular since we're here, speaking to Christians that do not conform. He said one of the elements that you need to learn is don't conform to the customary culture of the day. Now, our passions, we closed with this last Sunday morning. Our passions seem customary and normal. When we examine our passions in the light of Scripture, then we are to ask ourselves, is this the normal Christian life? 
And if anything causes us to resist our passions, our desires, in our ignorance, we ignore it. And the word that he uses here, the third word that he uses here, is the word not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Agnoe. A want of a lack of knowledge. And he says, this is inexcusable. You're not, we're not, we will not be able to stand before the Father who judges impartially and say, well, I didn't like to read. Really? I couldn't come to church because it's, it's too intense. Or some other excuse. They're not reasons, they're excuses. We have a number of people here this morning that have illnesses. They are not here because that's a reason, not an excuse. And so this word is found in Acts chapter 17. Paul speaking to the Athenians on Mars Hill, and he says, In the times of your ignorance. Now, these were highly, these were the most educated men of the day. And Paul calls them out. You're ignorant of spiritual things. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, we looked at that passage last week in verse 18. It also talks there about being immersed in your former ignorance. And Peter would use the term also in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5. Next slide if you would. So this kind of brings us up to where we are today. Sometimes we're like the Acts 17 people. We, we, we don't know. Now, Paul would write to the church at Rome, they don't know and they don't want to know. I hope you're not like that this morning. I don't know and I don't want to know. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is made up. Now, sometimes that happens because we haven't been exposed to the gospel. And that's becoming more and more prevalent in our society today. America is no longer a country that understands a great deal of biblical principles. No longer. And we'll see that as we make it through, go through the message this morning. Sometimes we're willingly ignorant because we desire truth. It means that we forfeit any rights we assume. We've heard a lot about rights over the past few weeks, have we not? It's my body. It's my right. Well, Paul addressed this in the, again, human nature. This has not changed. It's not a democratic thing. It's not a democracy thing. It's not a Republican thing. It is a human thing. Paul said, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, and you ought to underline it if you don't have it underlined in your Bible. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Christians, our rights are dispensed by the Trinity. They are not something that government gives us. If you don't remember anything this morning, remember that. You don't have rights over your own body. He goes on to say later in 1 Corinthians, we are to take care of our bodies because... They are the temple of the Spirit of God. So they belong to the one that has redeemed us. Peter will begin to break this down in verse 18. Paul's phrasing, 1 Corinthians, Peter's phrasing here, his phrasing of the correct question makes it clear that he was giving a firm reminder to those that doctrinally knew but functionally forgot. 
So we can know a great deal about doctrine, about truth, and just forget it. One of the reasons I do it, usually I rehash where we finished last week, is because you've forgotten. Some of you weren't here last week. And it's good to be exposed. This is one of the reasons expositional preaching is so important. It's good to be reminded that there are some things that we've forgotten. I forget them. So the Corinthians were living in functional unbelief. And any time there's a functional unbelief of the doctrine, in other words, the application of the doctrine, how we live, any time that takes place, it's sin. It was sin then, it is sin now. And it requires a real repentance. So they knew doctrinally, but they don't know functionally. So be careful when you hear this thing. This is my right. This is my body. And we've heard that over, well, for years. Jesus said, this is my body that was broken for you. Can we say that? Now, Paul, in this passage, <clears throat> Peter, to a certain extent, later on, was addressing sexual immorality among believers. That was a, a problem at the church at Corinth. And the Corinthian society had available and accessible, in fact, it was culturally acceptable and even encouraged the, the society encouraged ways to indulge in immoral sexuality. Does that sound familiar? Many Corinthian believers, many of the folks that Peter is writing to had engaged and had backgrounds that were rife with immorality. They had habits of thinking in their minds and behaving sexually that still affected and tempted them as Christians and some repeatedly failed. And so the addressing of holiness in our lives means that our body is not our own. And that's strange to us that live in an oversexed society, a raging society, a profane society. Next slide. Peter was familiar with this culture also. And so he uses the word for being against knowledge. He talks about ignorance. And he said, these things should describe your former life, not your life now. Your former life. Things change. Robbie and I were talking this, this past week. <clears throat> she was talking about her grandfather, would be Faye's grandfather as well, her, her granddaddy Wilson. And she remembers talking to her dad and uh, her granddad, and, it's, and not, it's not a secret, before he was converted, he gambled, he drank extensively, and all manner of things, avoiding basically his family. But the Lord saved him. And guess what? these things became formal. He didn't say, well, Jesus is my Savior and I can still do these things. Sort of like Larry the Cable Guy. God forgive me, you know, and then move on. You think that's holiness? I think you can answer that question. No, it's not. That's why these messages are so difficult for us to absorb. 
We don't like, we, we want to think about our former life and we want to somehow keep, keep tabs of the former life and also have Jesus. Peter didn't conceive of a Christian life that permitted a mere mental assent to what he had wrote in the first 12 verses, to the doctrines, to the truth, to the indicatives that were there. And these two, conformity and ignorance, are obstacles to holiness. We're to live lives that are non Conforming. Well, you got to live in the culture. I live in the culture. And it's more difficult today than ever. So the takeaway from these is we are to live lives that do not conform to the former lust. And then Peter says in verse 15, he says we are... How do we overcome that? We conform to holiness. If we claim Christ, then we claim the holiness of Christ. Now let's be sure. We will never be in this life, in this mortal earthly life, as holy as Christ Jesus. Never. And that's one of the things that that disturbs us. And some of this has to do with not understanding what holiness is. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. So Peter says, you are too conformed to holiness, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, this is a quote from the book of Leviticus. Okay? Now, I want us to go back and look at a couple of those this morning, and then I want to go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is a great chapter on husbands love your wives. But we don't read very often the first part of Ephesians 5, so we're going to do that. But right now, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 11. Oh, Leviticus. Oh, that's about the most boring book in all the Bible. Can't be so boring. Peter quoted it. Leviticus chapter 11. Now, the book of Leviticus is the codification of the law. The law that was given to Moses. It's not just the Ten Commandments. And see, that's where we get lost. We should post the Ten Commandments in schools and so forth. I don't have an issue with that. But that's not all the law. That's the moral implication of the law, and we'll see that more as we study Exodus on Sunday evening. Let's look at chapter 11. If you have it in your Bible, you'll probably have a, a title over chapter 11. Mine says, Foods Permitted and Forbidden. This comes back to, you're not your own. Hebrew people can't eat anything you want to. And there's a reason for that, because God's smarter than you are, and some of these things you should not eat. Now, I'm sure somewhere along the line, the Lord gave them, gave them dispensation for eating pork meat, because pork meat is probably the best meat on the face of the earth, but be that as it may. If you read this, you find all of these things. Okay, we're not going to read the entire chapter, but look, if you would, at verse 44. And he goes through all of these things. He says, don't, don't make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled. Verse 44, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look at verse 45. I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, holy carries with it the idea of separation. We'll see that in just a minute. A couple more passages. Turn over to Leviticus 19. Verse 
And verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then he goes through a number of different laws, number of different commands that are to separate the Hebrew people from everyone around them. Now, they don't like separation. We're studying that in the book of Ezekiel. So God says, you've not done anything I said. I told you a thousand years ago that if you didn't, you were going into captivity. Guess what? You're now in captivity and you're saying to me, God, you're not fair. Does that sound familiar? I think God was very patient with him for a thousand years. It's not now. America's not a thousand years old. We forget these things. Look at chapter 20. Verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep keep my statutes. How do you be holy? You'll keep my statutes. And perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who sets you apart. That's what the word sanctification means. Set apart for the holiness of God. They were to be different. You and I are to be different. Drop down to verse 26. You shall be holy to me. For I am the Lord, am holy. And you have separated, you've segregated, you've sanctified you from the peoples. You should be mine. You're not your own, Paul says. Where did he get that from? Well, he got it from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit just went back to the book of Leviticus. It's all through the Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We know this. We know it. If I were to ask every one of you this morning, including myself, what does it mean to be a child of God? One of the first things that should come to mind is holiness. We know this, but because we know we will never, then we make excuses for not being certain that we are following the nonconformity of the world. Therefore, verse 1, Paul says, in, in summary to all of these things that I've written to you in the first four chapters, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then he starts to list some things. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. In other words, avoid even alluding to these types of of situation. Is there fornication today? That's just another word for sexual sins, for pornea, sexual sins. All manner of. Not just homosexual, transsexual, all these things, heterosexual, all manner of. Do you speak of them? Neither filthiness. Watch your tongue. I've read recently, I think it was on the Gospel Coalition's website where there are now believers that are saying it's okay to, to use all manner of pejorative language in trying to reach lost people. Really? Really? nor foolish talking, another real phrase for gossip, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this you know, that no fornicator, you ought to have this underlined, no fornicator. It doesn't say, for this you know, maybe some fornicators. When we are born again, we change. And if you're here this morning and you claim to be born again and there's been no change in your life, you're not born again. Doesn't mean you're sinless. Does not mean that at all. No fornicator. Unclean person. It goes back to the filthiness, foolish talk, talking. No covetous man, desiring what somebody else has worked for. Who is an idolater. That's what covetousness is, is idol, worshiping somebody else's idols. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God, Peter talks about the judgment of God. The cause of these things, the wrath of God. Jesus died to remove us from God's wrath. Folks that don't know Jesus are not removed from the wrath of God. Christ is the one that bore God's wrath on Calvary. Not me, not you. Without Christ, we are lost in this world, regardless of what our culture may teach or what we may think. For the wrath of God. comes upon the sons of disobedience. Why are we to be obedient? Because once before, in fact, Paul uses this phrase, we read it last, last Sunday morning in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, you were once the sons of disobedience. If we do not love Jesus enough to desire to be holy like him, we don't love Jesus at all. Because of this, the wrath of God. And notice what Paul says, do not be partakers with them. Now this is in the same chapter that I use quite often for weddings. The very same chapter. This is why we say that context is king. And he goes on, for you were once in darkness, but now, thank God for the word but, but now, you are the light in the Lord. And if you are, walk as children of light. Don't desire to immerse yourself in the, there's, um, I'm unfamiliar with it, but there's a term about the dark web where all manner of, of nefarious things takes place. This is one of the reasons that parents are to, to judicially watch, find out what your children are viewing on the website, on the internet. Walk as children of light. Don't try to be buddy-buddy with these people. Can you have friends? Absolutely. I had a number of friends that are lost. When it came time for them to do things that I didn't agree with, I didn't go with them. I was to be separated from them. Notice what he says, the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out that 
what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, that that's word koinonia means don't, don't side, don't snuggle up next to them. Well, preacher, they don't, they're going to, to hell in a handbasket, as Alistair Begg says. They're going to hell in the hand. Ain't going to hell in the handbasket if they don't get saved. Yeah, that's true. They won't be in a handbasket, by the way, whatever that is. We are to witness and share the righteousness of God's name. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever make, makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead. Spiritually dead. Paul mentions that a number of times in the book of Ephesians. And Christ will give you light. Why is that? Because he's the light of the world. Do you, do you desire the light of the world? Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Paul says the ways of the world are foolishness to God. Redeeming the time because the days of evil. He says, don't be unwise. Don't be ignorant. Don't conform. Don't be agnoi. Without knowledge. Don't be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Good solid teaching that brings us to the holiness of God. Now I want to close with this. Go to the next slide if you would, brother. Let's have an understanding of the word holiness and then we'll close with this this morning. We're confused sometimes when we hear the word Holiness. Now, Wayne Grudem, this is probably one of the simplest definitions I've ever been able to find. And it's a good one. He writes, God's holiness means that he is separated from sin. That's the first thing. All the way through the Bible, that's found. And the second thing about the holiness of God is that he is devoted to seeking his own glory. Well, that sounds like pride to me. That's because you are allowing, you're giving place to the devil. There's no sin in God. That's what it says. He's separated from sin, so it can't be pride. He's devoted to seeking his own glory. Why does creation exist? Why are you and I here? Why? God's devoted to seeking his own glory. Now, R.C. Sproul, as you might think, gives a longer definition. He says this. The concept of holiness refers to purity. Paul will talk about purity in the latter part of chapter 5. God's holiness involves his purity. And this isn't ivory soap purity. What was that, 99 and 44, 100% pure? I don't remember now. That's pretty pure. We, we talked about gold in the first part of 1 Peter chapter 1. And I reminded you that uh, you can never get to 100% gold. 
it's always once it's refined it's always as, as close as you can get is about 99.99 .99. so there's still some impurities in it not with God the dimension of purity is the secondary meaning of the term holy the first and primary meaning of the term holy refers to God's transcendent majesty his otherness he's not like you and I I'm not God I'm not man rather he would say I cannot be tempted, cannot be tempted to sin. We see that in the life of Jesus. Tempted, but not sinning. He's other than you. And regardless of how we may try to frame him, he's other than you and I. When we pass from this life as believers into the life that is to come, God will be other than you and I. We will have fellowship with him. We will see him in the person of Jesus Christ. We will fall and worship him, but he's other than you and I. We're not going to be, as the Mormons say, made like into God. No. I'm always going to be E.G. Carey Jr. I hope I'll look a little better, and I know you do too. hope that I'll look a little better when we get to heaven. But I'm always going to be E.G. Carey Jr. I'm not going to be E.G. Carey Jr. and part of Jesus. He's other. Grasp that this morning. Because he's other. Thank God he's other. He's not given to sin. The sense in which God is different from anything in the created order. The word transcend that just means that he's outside of his creation. God doesn't dwell in this creation. He's outside of what he's made. The term holy in the Old Testament was used when God consecrated a people or a place or time. He set it apart because it was different. We just read a portion of that in the book of Leviticus. The idea in Peter's epistle is that the basis for the call to nonconformity, and that's what we've been looking at. The basis for the call to nonconformity is that we are to be imitators of God in his difference. Just as God is different from the world, and we are his children, we are heirs of the inheritance set before us in heaven, we are to be different from the world. Now, the writer of Hebrews would say, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We don't have a choice. You want to see God? Then the Spirit of God must empower you, must infuse you with the holiness of Christ. He must impute to you the holiness of Christ. And when that occurs, our desires should change. Sometimes they change immediately, sometimes they don't, but they should change. Be holy, for I am holy. And close with this this morning. Do you remember, this is dating myself now, but do you remember <clears throat> the first Indiana Jones movie. You remember what it was called? What was the first one? You remember? What? Raiders of the Lost Ark. How many of you have seen that movie, by the way? Let me see. Raise your hands, okay. It was PG then. Should have probably been PG 13, but be that as it may. What happened at the end of that movie? Now this was produced and directed, probably partially written by Steven Spielberg, who was Jewish. And so, long story short, the Nazis were trying to acquire the Ark of the Covenant. The thought was that if they could find it, and by the way, the ark was destroyed in battle many, many years ago. 
Uh, so it doesn't exist today. But they were trying to find it, and they did. Of course, Indy, he goes through all of his machinations for trying to keep it from being found, and they find it anyway. And do you remember what happens when they see the ark, and they, they I, I don't remember the guy's name, but anyway, he, he opens the top of the ark, and he looks over inside the ark. Do you remember? So out of the ark he peers in and his eyes get all wondrous and so forth. And then out of the ark proceeds these spirits. Now this is a movie. Keep that in mind. It's a movie. So this is what we've talked about a number of times. This is conjecture. Why do you have all this swirling and so forth and then all of the Nazis that are in this particular cave where the ark supposedly is found are consumed by the spirit. And that's, you know, they're melting and all this thing. Just, it's a wonderful scene for those of you that like that type of thing. Do you remember what happened when the ark the ark was taken into to captivity by the Philistines and then David established Mount Zion. He established the city of Jerusalem to be his, his reigning place and they were bringing the ark from the, from the capital of Philistia to Mount Zion. And the Bible tells us that one of the, the ark was being borne by the Levites. Only the Levites could carry the ark. David was from the tribe of Judah. Couldn't carry the ark. God expressly told the Hebrew people, no one can touch the ark save the Levites. In the ark, where the commandments, the rod that budded with Aaron, a pot of manna, a reference to the presence of God. And one of David's henchmen, as they were going up to Mount Zion, the ark, they're carrying the ark, and it begins to, to fall off the beers as they were taking it up. And one of David's henchmen reached out and touched it. What happened to him? What? He died. That is an earthly representation of the heavenly holiness of God. No man, Scripture says, can see me and live. Our desire is to be, is to have the presence of the holiness of God in everything that we do. Now, we'll continue this message next Sunday morning. It speaks to my heart every time I look at it. And so my question to you this morning, as the book of Hebrews says, no man shall see the Lord without holiness. Do you have the holiness of Jesus Christ granted to you? Because if not, then the unfortunate circumstance is that the wrath of God will abide on those that don't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about holiness in the gospel, we, oh, we forget so much. We read through the New Testament and we're, we're taught this almost without exception. That one of the earmarks of being born again is obedience, nonconformity, and a desire to have the knowledge of the Scripture. Do we have that this morning in our life? In my life, Father, is my life one that should be of obedience?
Yes. Is my life one that should be that should not conform to the world? The answer to that is yes. Is my life, Father, one that should be have a desire for the knowledge and wisdom of the Word? Yes. And so our prayer this morning as you move by the Spirit throughout this congregation, if there's one that does not know you as Savior, we pray that they would see and understand that without Christ, they are sons of disobedience. Save them so that they can become sons of obedience. As children of God, may we commit oppression anew to live lives that embody the holiness of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, for without which this holiness no man will see God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the invitation is simple this morning. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord as your Savior, we can't save you, but the good news is that Jesus can. Jesus will. And all the preaching of this is to draw you to Christ, one that desires to save you in his precious name. So we're going to sing an invitation hymn. We'll give you an opportunity to make your way out of the pew. Come forward this morning. We can take you to a private prayer room and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can leave here with the imputed righteousness, the gifted righteousness, the gifted holiness of Jesus Christ. Perhaps you are born again. You know the Lord is Savior. You desire to unite with the Flat Creek family. Perhaps you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We encourage you to come this morning. As, as I said, in two weeks we're going to, um, going to observe that other ordinance of Scripture. If you're here today as a child of God, it's, it's a tough message to preach, tough message to hear, but it's a message nonetheless. And it's one that speaks to our hearts and our souls. It speaks to my heart every time I sit down to do Scripture, to do the notes. What number, Brother Mike? 289. 289. If the Lord's spoken, won't you come?